be here. And uh, I think this is probably the first Father's Day I've ever ministered on, so it's gonna be kind of a treat for me. I know that as fathers, I wanna honor you today, and I have something for you. And I know that as men, that you don't wanna come to church and just hear a sermon that's just gonna tickle your ears and leave you empty. So I'm not, I don't do those kind of sermons very well. So today, I wanna talk to you about the family and your place in it. But ladies, you won't be left out, I guarantee it. Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that you've given me to minister this morning. Lord, I thank you for the message that you've placed in my heart, Lord, and I just ask that you'd open the hearts of this thy people, Lord, to receive the words that you've prepared for me, for your words through me to give to them, and thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we live in an area, an era, a time where the family is under attack like it's never been under before. We have society that's trying to dictate to us what they think the family should be, what it should consist of, and what everyone should, how they should respond in that environment of what we call the family. And because of that, some of that is kind of filtered into the church to where we as men and women of God don't know what our place is. What is our role? What is our position? And I know as a Christian that God doesn't leave us in the dark about anything that we need to face in, in life today. And the family is very important to God. You can't read very long into the Bible until you find that to be a reality. And the best place to find that information is in the Bible and in the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning. And we're going to, to Genesis. <coughs> we're going to start in chapter 2. And uh, this is the beginning of everything. The start of the family. We're going to start at verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now let's jump down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man. Now that's important. I got that highlighted in here. He commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. <clears throat> it's not good for man to be alone. In spite of what society may think about that, God knows best. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, if we look at a lot of the situations and problems we have in this world, especially today, I mean, back in the olden days or the, before the Internet, we didn't have a lot of problems that we have today. Today, we have a problem called pornography, and it rules the Internet. And we have men, when not, I'm not saying anybody in particular, just generally, a lot of men, especially, and even in the church, that's the scary thing about this, it happens in the church. They get in on that Internet when they're alone, and they look at things they shouldn't be looking at. And it isn't only men that are doing that. We women do that, and our kids are doing that too. And there's a lot of conflict and a lot of problems caused when we are alone. So God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So men, remember that when you're looking at your wife. God said, it's not good for you to be alone. So I've given you that woman. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Thank you. <clears throat> and I will make a help meet for him. 
See, he didn't just leave it up to his choice and decide what Adam needed to get involved in to fill that loneliness in his heart. God filled that need in his life. And we as Christians, if we have a need, God is going to fill it. He, said, he promised to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. So if you have a need, God's going to fill it. And he said, I'm going to make one a helpmate who's suitable for you. Now, this helpmate is the same word in, in the Hebrew. If you reflect it into the Greek, it's the same word that's used in the Greek called paraclete. And that's when Jesus said, I will send you an, a helper, one that will be, that'll help you through. That's kind of the same interpretation. So the Holy Spirit, God sent to us to help us to live a Christian life. Man, God sent you a helpmate to help you live this life in this world. So we got to realize that. Now let's look, jump down to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, and the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. That's the first wedding ceremony that we see. God gives away the bride. That's where the custom of the father giving away the bride, bride comes from. Eve belonged to God, and he gave her to Adam to be that helpmeet, to fill that need. And see where I'm at there. And Adam said, and this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now that word cleave is kind of an interesting word. I don't know if you're familiar with building or not, but in a building process, if you have a great distance to span for a garage door or for a window or large windows or something, <clears throat> you need something that's heavy duty that can support that weight. And when we did our garage a, year, a few years ago, we had, what, we had to get a glue lamb beam, they called it, and it was 22 feet long. And that glue lamb beam was about this thick. But it wasn't made out of individual, it was, wasn't made out of one big piece of wood. Because if you have that big piece of wood and to span 22 feet, it'll crack, it, it'll break. Because it isn't strong enough to stand that test or that stress. So we have that cleave, which means stick together like glue. So it's, you just can't bring it apart. So if you look at a glue lamb beam from the side, you see individual boards making up that beam. And you can see the individuality in every board that's there. And because that board is glued together and fastened together, it's stronger than it would be if it wasn't apart. And that's what that God, that God meant for us to understand when he's talking about the husbands to cleave to your wives. <clears throat> now we get into the interesting part of, the, of Genesis, the one that all of us, we all know about. This is the part where Eve gets tempted by the serpent and she succumbs to the temptation. Jump down to uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. <clears throat> And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. Now this is where all the problems start from as far as us getting blamed for everything. They figure, hey, it's in the Bible, it happened, Eve did it, God, and it's, it was her fault. But the funny thing about that. That isn't what the Bible says about the situation. It's kind of interesting. Now, why? How could that be? So I got looking at that, and we need to look at, uh, turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at the second chapter. 
we've been blamed for, for more things than I think Carter's got pills. And they use this scripture as a basis for it. And we were talking a little bit about in Sunday school that, you know, that's in our nature to blame somebody. And in the garden, Eve was the only one there. So Adam had to blame her, right? You, you could say amen a little softer there, honey. <laughs> First Timothy, the second chapter, verse 14. <clears throat> it said, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Whoa, that's interesting. The woman was not deceived, but Adam, I mean, the woman wasn't, wasn't deceived, ah, was deceived, Adam was, and I'll get it right pretty soon, just, just keep me honest up here, yeah, okay. <laughs> Adam knew after, well, we learned in 15th chapter of uh, 2.15 about God commanded the man. He gave him the commandment that he should not eat of the fruit of the garden. Doesn't say anywhere that he told Eve. He left that responsibility up to Adam. It was Adam's job as the head of his house and the priest of his home, here that we see the first mention where that comes into play. He was supposed to be the priest of the home. He was the one that was responsible to make sure that Eve understood what God said. And evidently, according to the Bible, he didn't do a very good job of that. And I want to know where was Adam when Eve was being tempted? Was he right there? It makes it sound like he was right there because it said as soon as she ate, she gave it to Adam and he did eat. Now, we know that God says it's not good for man to be alone. So if he was alone or whatever the circumstances, I don't know whether he was there or not. But he knew the penalty. He knew the cost. And he knew the consequences instantly because when Eve took a bite of that apple, it was an instantaneous change that happened in her life. I believe that when Adam and Eve were formed in the garden, the Bible says that they were naked. But being naked didn't mean that they didn't have any covering. I believe that God's righteousness and holiness covered them. And so they weren't naked as far as uh, the eyes. So you, you looked at them, you would see this covering that God has placed upon them. Kind of a similar covering the way that God looks at us now that we've sec accepted God as our Savior. We have that righteous covering. So they, were, they may have been naked without clothes, but they weren't naked. So as soon as Eve took a bite of that, that covering was gone. So Adam could see instantly what was going to happen to him. And yet, what did Adam do? He took a bite of the apple anyway. He chose Eve over God. Now, women, there's, an, there's something important there because throughout the Bible we hear and we read about the influence of the women in the home who influence their husbands to sin. So there's a wake-up call for us. So and then I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> so God held Adam accountable for what happens, what happened in the, his home. Adam was responsible, and Adam held him accountable. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so Christ shall all be made alive. So God said, because of man, sin is transferred. Because of man, it'll be reversed. That's pretty simple. But we know that God held him responsible. But have you ever wondered why Jesus had to be born of a woman and not a man? You know, we read that uh, scripture every year at Christmas time about Jesus being born of a virgin. And it, prophecy said he had to be born of a woman. Why? That doesn't make any sense. 
But we, it makes sense when we realize, when we go back to the beginning, when it says that the sin of man is transferred through Adam. Man is the one that transfers that sin nature to his children, not the woman. And that's why the, sin, or the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament was circumcision. It was cutting away the part of the male member that transferred that sin nature on. Girls weren't, weren't circumcised. So we realize that that's why Jesus had to be born of a woman. Because sin could not, it wasn't transferred into there. She provided the egg, but the man provided the seed and provided, you know, the thing that made sin transferable. And when you understand that, then you understand the importance of, you know, the man as far as why he's held responsible in that. The family is designed to consist of one man and one woman. I don't care what society has to say about it. God set up the family, and he could have set it up any way he wanted. If he, if he wanted two men, he could have had two men. If he wanted two women, he could have had two women. He could have made it work any way he wanted to. He's God. But the problem is when you have two men, you don't have that glue lamb beam that's there. You don't have that different things that, that somebody that uh, I complete Randy, and Randy completes me. That's what your husbands and wife do. You complete you. My weaknesses or whatever is his strength. And he, he, he makes me whole. We become a living, we become one. We become one body as far as God's concerned with one head and, and that happens to be him. Now we're going to get to the uh, interesting part that I know that every man can, can, uh, can quote. Ephesians chapter 5. We're all, oh, women, we know this scripture. If your husband doesn't know any scripture, he knows this one. Starting at verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, I want to stop right here and say, nowhere in God's word are you going to find God commanding women to submit to all men. It says, submit unto your husbands. So you have to have a husband before you can submit to him. And it's as unto the Lord. There are a lot of women in their society that don't have Christian husbands. And the last thing God wants a Christian woman to do is to submit to an ungodly man because they don't have the, the morality that maybe that a Christian man has. So if you can't do it unto the Lord, let's don't forget that part of, the, of that scripture. If you can't do it unto the Lord, you can't do it. That's as simple as that because you have a choice. It's giving you a choice. It isn't a it or either end or whatever. You have, we have a choice to submit, and we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're sacrificing our will in a situation to the leadership of our husbands. Let's continue. Down to verse, let's see, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And let's continue down to verses 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord God, Lord the church. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. When a man and a woman get married, God says they become one. The problem starts when he become, wants to be that one. Isn't that the what it is? <laughs> <laughs> the problem is which one see the husband thinks well I want to be like this and be this but we got to remember it's a blending it's a blending of both parties we can't be strong we're not going to be a strong union if it's his way or if it's just his 
and we're not going to be strong if it's this way. We have to have a blendingness that makes us stronger. So that we got we got to make sure we know that. Then I want to go to 1 Peter. I'm jumping you all over the place, but I'm trying to hit all the scriptures that we're all familiar with and uh, deal with them from there. <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, this weaker vessel doesn't mean weaker as far as uh, her anything else other than our physical strength. Most women aren't as strong as men. There are some exceptions. But generally speaking, the man is stronger than the woman. And that's why God put it into your hearts, men, to protect your wife or protect women because you recognize and God recognizes that we aren't as strong as men are, so we need that protection. We need that uh, help from you because we are a weaker vessel in that aspect. And we continue on, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, we're heirs together. Our personal salvation is up to me and it's up to, up to my husband individually. He can't get saved for me, and I can't get saved for him. There are scriptures that, said that say that, that if your husband or wife isn't saved, that God has sanctified them and set them apart for special treatment to where he can, through your life and testimony, lead them to him if they can be. But I can't get saved for him. He can't get saved for me. It's individual. So we're joint heirs through Christ, and we stand equal at the foot of the cross. God says there's no man, no woman, neither Jew, nor Greek, nor bond, nor free. We're all equal as far as God is concerned. And then the end of that verse says that your prayers be not hindered. Now, man, if your prayers are being hindered, maybe you need to look at the first part of this verse. Are you honoring your wife, giving honor unto them? Are you dwelling with them according to knowledge? We have a responsibility, and God puts it firm here. If you're not doing these things, your prayers are going to be hindered. Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> I've written these down on my little piece of paper so I can save my, my shuffling time. And It's the King James, in case you were wondering the version I was reading from. Uh, three, chapter Colossians 3, verses 18, starting 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Women submitting to, God, to, to men doesn't make them king. It makes them responsible. And nowhere is God putting us into servitude to our husbands when we do this. It doesn't mean that every time you're sitting on the couch and, you're, and your husband wants a glass of water, he says, honey, get me up, or not even the honey part. He says, get up and get me a drink of water. I've met husbands and wives that kind of live in that kind of environment, and I don't like it, and I wouldn't probably wouldn't survive very long in it. He will say, however, if I'm up, he'll say, honey, while you're up, would you bring me a glass of water? Because he respects and he honors me. He doesn't treat me as his slave. He treats me as his equal as far as God is concerned. But we have different roles and different positions in the family. And that's where we have, we're having that problem. We're having, trying to decide, where am I in this family, the way it's set up? And you all know by now, if you've met me at all, that you know that I'm a very opinionated woman. And I have, uh, I am used to giving orders. I was a supervisor and I had about 64 people under me. So I was used to giving, giving orders. And I've done a lot of ministering. I've done a lot of things as far as outside the home is concerned. 
But then reality, just because I do it there doesn't mean that I'm allowed to do it in the home environment. And that's what we need to realize. My supervisor hat hangs on the front door. So does my other things that I you know, deal with. It hangs at the front door because I have to agree with God's word when it says that I'm supposed to submit unto my husband. Now, how that works, you might say, well, okay, what do I do? Got to run, out, run around there and do everything he tells me to do? No, that isn't what it says. It says that you're supposed to be a helpmate to him. You're supposed to help him make decisions, which means that when there's a decision in the home, you discuss it. The husband just doesn't come home from work and say, honey, pack the boxes, we're moving. That would go over like a ton of bricks, wouldn't it? All of a sudden, that, that uh, submitting thing would really, uh, you see what, you know? Well, won't go there, but what it means is if the husband has a situation where he feels like you should be moving, then he comes home and he says, honey, I just feel like God wants us to move here. I think I have a better opportunity, and we have a couple doing that, going through that right now. What do you think about it? And you sit down and you discuss it. And after you've discussed it and you prayed about it, and ladies, if you don't want to go, and he decides that that's what God wants him to do, then that's where we have to submit. We don't go kicking and screaming. We go in submitting as unto the Lord. We sacrifice our will in that situation to our husbands, and God will bless us for it. But maybe after talking to me, about this situation, he decides, you know, honey, you're right. We should stay here. I believe that that's what we should do. But the kicker is, whatever choice is made, he's still responsible for that choice, irregardless of whether it was something he wanted to do or something I wanted to do. So, and there's all the little things that kind of come in between. You know, you can fill in your, whatever they might be in your life today. But that's how it's supposed to work, and that's God's plan. Because if you're both pulling in different directions, you can't, you'll never get there. If you've got a team of horses that are all in, locked in one thing together, and they're all pulling different directions, that wagon ain't going nowhere. So you ha- And two, the Bible says, two can't walk together unless they agree. So we have to discuss them, and I'll discuss them with him. And if he still wants to do what he thinks he wants to do, then I'm going to have to be the one, according to God's word, to submit unto that decision and say, God, if it's your will, I'm going to do it. But he's responsible. So if he makes a wrong choice, we don't come around and say, ha, 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 told you so. Told you we should have been here. Should have stayed here. Uh, that isn't part of it. <laughs> but he deals with the consequences of every choice that's made in the home. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4, which uh, Val quoted this morning. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Who's the one here that's supposed to be raising the kids according to the scripture? Ah, the husband's responsible for the children here. He's responsible nurturing, nurturing in the admonition of the Lord. So it's up to you, Father to make sure that your children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Of course, you have your wives to help you because this is a team effort. But your husband or the, uh, the head of the family is the one that's supposed to make the decision, decision on how this is going to happen. Is it going to be through a public school? Is it going to be through a private school? Is it going to be through whatever? The husband has to have his head in the game. He has to realize that 
He can't ignore this position because God holds him accountable. So he's going to get blamed for it according to God, whether he did anything or not, because his not doing anything makes him responsible. And we all know this familiar scripture, uh, Proverbs 22, 6. We can all probably quote it. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this didn't say bring a kid to Sunday school, and when he was old, he will not depart, depart from it. Didn't say that. It said train him. And the problem that we have in society today is the kids aren't being trained. Our dogs are being trained. My dog don't, don't pee in the house no more. I trained that dog. But we don't train our kids. We just bring them to Sunday school and let someone else do it. But fathers, the Bible says, God says, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're training them up. Put as much effort into your kids as you do to anything else that you have. And in the way he should go. Now, we live in a society, and maybe not as bad now as it was years ago, that if you were a carpenter, your kids was going to be carpenters. Didn't matter. And in the, old, in the olden days, that's where you used to get your last name from. If you was a carpenter, your first name may be John, but your last name was Carpenter. If you was a uh, blacksmith, your first name may be John, but your last name was Smith. So that's where we ended up getting last names from. But because someone is born into a carpenter's home doesn't mean that God wants him to be a carpenter. You have to be able to let God lead you and guide you because maybe God wants that, guy, wants that son to be a painter or maybe an evangelist. You have to be so in tune with that kids and the way that God is gifting that child to be able to lead him and then train him in that way and help him and not condemn him in that way. And the other scripture said, provoke not your children to wrath. How do fathers do that? How do we do that? We do that, number one, by not letting, well, this is one read, by not letting them do what God has called them to do. Not letting them be led and bent in that direction that God has gifted them for. Or we, we call the kids names. We call them, oh, you stupid. You're stupid. Or how in the world can anybody be that dumb? And all these other kind of things. And we're always tearing down our kids and tearing them down and tearing them down instead of building them up. Well, what do they expect our, chil- our kids to do? They're angered, and, we, and we're provoking him to wrath. We're provoking him to be rebellious. We're provoking him to not to go out and break the law. And if something happens, we don't listen to our kids. We blame them, irregardless of whether we have any evidence. We blame them, and we don't talk to them. We don't try to work things out with our kids. But ultimately, you're responsible for how that's done. This is God's plan for the family. We have the husband who's ahead. We have the wife, and we have the children, and they all know their position, and their place. When that happens, then the family runs smoothly. And when, when your kids grow up, they'll know how it's supposed to be. But if we're not filling our shoes, fathers, husbands, if you're not filling your shoes, who is? There's a head in every house that's sitting here today. Somebody's the head. And if it isn't you, who is it? Maybe it's your kids. Oh, that's scary. And society we live in, many of the kids are the head of the family. That's the problem. But when we do that, when we don't walk in the shoes that God has us for and in our role and all our position, it's like a bunch of kids when they're little. I know you've seen them. You've probably done it when you was little. You went down, you got your dad's coat, and you got your dad's shoes and his hat, and the little girls got their mother's little heels and their hats, and they walk around and they play dress up, and the little shoes are just clunking around all over the floor. And, that, and that's really cute. It's always oh, in that cute. And it is cute when you're five or six, but it isn't cute when you're 30. You know, that's my husband's suit coat won't fit me. His shoes won't fit me. I can walk around and try to fill them, and I'll be clunking around, and if I have to run or move fast, I'll trip and I'll fall. 
and there's no way in the world he's going to get into my shoes. God has the shoes and the responsibilities to each member of the family. And we have to realize that if we're not filling our role and if we're not doing what God wants us to do in the family, then the family is going to be dysfunctional. We live in a whole society of dysfunctional people. Oh, I'm dysfunctional because my mom and dad got divorced. I'm dysfunctional because my dad didn't give me my bike when I was a little kid. We have all kinds of reasons to blame dysfunctions on. But the reality says that if you do things God's way, then you can claim this. And when he was old, he will not depart from, from the way. You have that confidence. But you have to put the stuff in there before it. We have a tendency to forget it, to take the last verse, like, verse, like we talked about Sunday school, Resist the devil and he will flee. But we forget about the submit part, the submit unto God. And there is a submitting that goes on as far as the man's concerned. Man is not just out there doing his own thing because the man is responsible to submit to God, submit to Christ. He's supposed to, to love us and love the family the way that he loved the church. And we know how much that was. <coughs> Another thing you might not be aware of is that not only is God responsible for that, he's, you're, the husband is responsible for the spiritual well-being of the house. Now, there's an Old Testament chapter. I'm not going to go there because it's too long. I'll just give you a synopsis. You can look at it, read it later. Numbers, the 30th chapter. That's back in that Old Testament stuff we don't read very much lately. We don't read that. It's because it's in the Old Testament. We're under the new covenant, you know. But if you go there, you miss a lot. You'll miss a lot as far as God's plans for the family. You'll miss a, miss a lot as far as God's plans for everything. So in, in this chapter, it talks about the husband and his responsibility, that if, he ha if his wife wants, has the call of God on, on her life or has something that she wants to do for God, and she wants to do that, and her husband hears about it, he has the option to say yay or nay. If, he if my husband didn't want me to be a minister and didn't want me to do what I'm doing, I would have to step aside. But... God would hold him accountable for it. And I wouldn't be held accountable for it. If you have children in your home and they want to do something for God and you, re and you hinder or stop them from doing it, God holds you responsible for what happens as far as their spiritual growth is concerned. You're responsible, man. I mean, I, you know, I, when I was little, I thought, man, I hated it. I, well, I hated being born a girl. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I liked to play ball. I liked to play football, basketball. I liked to go out and do all that kind of things that, that boys got to do. I didn't want no part of being no girl. Girls don't have no fun. That's what I thought growing up. But then God enters my life. And things make a big difference. And now I am so happy I am not a man. I am so happy. Thank you, Jesus. Because something don't work out right in the family, hey, I'm innocent. I'm, I'm innocent. <laughs> I didn't do it. So I can say, Sarah said, hey, it's not my fault. I didn't, it wasn't me. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. <clears throat> Some people today <clears throat> associate fatherhood with the way that God is. And when we're dealing with people, we have a tendency to say, God is our father. And we think that, hey, that explains it. But if you didn't have a great father, that doesn't mean anything nice to you. If every father, or if God was like you, 
as far as the way that you are as a father, would you draw people to him or chase him away? Scary thought. That's scary. Because God's called our, us our father, but he's looking at us the way that he wants you as fathers to be. And when you do that, then people can be drawn to you as a father. And when you say, God is my father, and I can understand that love and that relationship because of the way my father was. And I can associate, and I can make that click. But we got to realize in the society we live in, sometimes that isn't the best analogy to make. But fathers, if you're here this morning, and you haven't assumed that role as head of your family and priest of your home, you have to ask God to forgive you and say, from this day forward, I'm going to be that man. I'm going to be that father that you want me to be. As God leading me and directing me, I'm going to do that. And then you need to go ask your wife for forgiveness for forcing that position and that responsibility on her because she's stuck with her responsibility and yours, and no wonder she has problems. No wonder the home is dysfunctional. So you need to ask her to forgive you. And then you need to assume that role. And if it means necessary to go apologize to your kids for letting their mother be the head of the family, you need to do that. Because if you do that and you haven't been doing it, all of a sudden the kids are going to respect you. And then from that day forward, they're going to see the changes, and they want to notice the changes. And then what's going to happen is that son is going to grow up to be like you. How many fathers raise children that grow up and they abuse their wives? Why is that? Because the father abused them. So we reverse that and we do good to our kids and we raise them the way that God wants us to raise them, then we can expect that one day they're going to make the decision and they're going to be the kind of family that, that you were as far as they're concerned. Wives, you thought, you, you thought I was going to let you out of this, didn't you? Now, I'm, you know, I'm pointing this way, but, you know, I got four coming back this way and one that way, so that's okay. If you, as we as wives and mothers, have been hindering our husbands from being that priest of our home, being the head of our household, then we need to ask God for forgiveness and say, God, from this day forward, I'm going to relinquish that role to my husband. I'm going to allow him to be the head. Be, let him be the man you created him to be. I'm going to allow him to be the priest of their home. And I know there's some of us are going to say, well, okay, but my husband hasn't been a Christian very long. Or he can't do it because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but that isn't an excuse because if God calls you and commands you to do something, he gives you the tools, he gives you the things that you need in order to fulfill that job. What kind of a God would it be? What kind of a father would it be? What kind of a father would you be if you went out and told your kid to paint the house and never gave him a brush, never gave him any paint, never gave him anything to do that job? And then because he couldn't do it, you beat him, sent him to bed without his supper or something. That'd be kind of ridiculous. So if God has called you to do something and to fulfill a role in the family, he's going to give you the tools to be able to do that. The problem is we got to be able to allow him to do that. I know my husband and I, we kid, kid, kid sometimes, or I kid sometimes, and he'll say something, I'll say, is this one of these submit things? You know? Sometimes that submitting gets in the way. But that's okay. Because we want to be who God has created us to be. And when that happens, then the family is what it needs to be. 
If you change the man, you change the family. Change the family, you change the church. Change the church, and you can change the nation. See how important you are, guys? See, it all starts with you. It all starts with you. Yeah, I've got to have a backbone. <laughs> what is it Arnold Schwarzenegger says about the guys, girly men <laughs> or something? Girly men. And I know that if I can submit as pig-headed and stubborn and everything that I am outside of the church environment, I know that you can as wives and as women. And I know, I probably know more about the Bible and ministry than what my husband does. <clears throat> And there was a time when he first got saved that he was not able to take over that role. It, wa it wasn't, so for a period of time, I had to be, hold that role. But it was under the authority of God because he needed to have a little bit of things coming from, from where he came from to where he was. But it was, he wasn't there that long because as soon as he got into God's word, as soon as he started doing the things God wanted him to do, then I could back out. And he is the priest of our home. I expect him to be to fulfill that role. He asks me for my opinion about a lot of things, and I'll give it to him. But ultimately, he is the head of the house, and he's the head of our home. And that's God's plan, and that's God's purpose. And when it happens, then we have families that are build a strong society. When we don't, you see the mess our society's in now. We live in a society of confused kids growing up. They don't know what their role is. They don't know who the dad is. They don't know who the mom is. And now all of a sudden they got to say, well, it's okay to have two daddies and no mommy. It's okay to have two mommies and no daddies. But God says, no, it isn't. If you want problems, you get out of this plan. But if you stay in God's will and God's plan, then you're going to have that strength. You're going to have that glue lamb bean that's going to be able to stand the weight that society places on you and the devil can't break through that strength and that power through God. <clears throat> if you want to bow your heads, I'm going to just take a minute here. <clears throat> Fathers, I just want to ask you this morning. <clears throat> if you, after hearing this message, you didn't realize or whatever the circumstances are, that you didn't know that what your role was. But from this day forward, you're going to accept that role as head of your family and priest of your home. As far as God is going to be your witness and ask him, let me see your hand. If there's anyone that's in that position today. Okay, thank you. Okay, ladies, I want to ask you, if you've been fulfilling that role as priest of your home and head of the household, how many will say, I ask God forgiveness today because I don't want to be that. I want to be with the wife that God wanted me to be and fulfill that role. Let me see your hand. Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, thank you.